Thanks for joining us at Colts to Consciousness. This storytelling podcast is meant to be for entertainment purposes only and does not substitute for any medical advice. We may discuss triggering topics and we ask that you make your personal mental health a priority. Lastly, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the host. And it was like draining out of my my nose and my mouth. There was blood everywhere. And so she calls the mission president. He says, we can say a prayer. And she goes, a prayer's not going to cut it right now. And she hung up on him. What is going through your mind? Where are these people helping you that are supposed to be protecting you and watching out for you? Hey, my name is Shalise Ansola, and this is Cults to Consciousness, where we discuss leaving high-demand religions or organizations and finding healing and independence through awareness and true individual sovereignty. If you're listening only and you want to see our faces, go to my YouTube channel at Cults to Consciousness. It would mean the world if you could like and subscribe, leave us a comment, leave any suggestions for guests that you have in the future, and you may be featured if we decide to go with that guest. Um, Yeah, today's guest, I'm really excited about this one because they are family and you guys know how much I love doing family episodes. But not only that, they have a really, really relatable story that I thought a lot of people would be able to see themselves in. So these two people, they are my cousins, mother-daughter pair. Um, one of them, the the daughter, she decided to go on a mission, Gen Z. And while she was on her mission, her parents, mom here, said, sorry, we're leaving the church. And so I thought it would be really interesting to get both of their perspectives, what it was like being on the mission, um, how she was treated on her mission, and ultimately how she was able to deal with her mom leaving the church, which ended up in her ultimately leaving the church. Sorry, spoiler alert. So (laughs) thank you so much for joining us, my two cousins, Colette and Keely. Welcome. Hey, hey. Thanks for having us. Oh, for sure. I mean, we've had conversations before about our grievances with the church, but we haven't gone into depth. So I'm actually really excited to hear your perspectives on things. And yeah, I mean, I think just the mother daughter thing is really relatable. And you are a success story of how after leaving the church, you can find happiness and peace and joy and all the things that we were so desperately searching for while in the church, right? Exactly. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So where do we start? Let's start with Keely. So Keely, you decided after growing up Mormon that you wanted to go on a mission. Tell us, because I know a little of your story, tell the audience why you wanted to go on a mission and what your thoughts were around it. I think with like going on a mission, it's kind of just like that Utah culture thing where if you're not married by the time you're 19, you go on a mission. And I was one that just decided I wanted to focus on a career and not get married right away after high school. So I knew that like going on a mission was part of something I was going to kind of have to do for kind of like my life plan as a Utah Mormon. (laughs) I think it's actually really rare, or at least when I was growing up, there was pretty much no pressure on women to go on missions. So I'm curious then, because we do have quite an age gap, what it was like for you, like the messages that you were getting in Sunday school or young women's or young singles ward, like were they really putting (laughs) pressure on the women to go? It was more so like, okay, if you're not getting married, like a mission would be a great opportunity for you to do. Like then you can go and like teach other people about the church. And it really just kind of felt like that was something you had to do if you weren't married 
by the time you turned 19. Mm. It was oh my talked gosh, about 19. in seminary <laughs> and it was just, it felt like a something you were pressured to do. And I think especially with the age change too, it was something that they really wanted younger girls to go out and do. Originally it was 21, right? For girls yeah. and then they changed it. When did they change it? Do you know? I don't remember when they changed it. I mean, it was years before I would have been been able to go, but I think just once they made that age change, it kind of was something they more so taught about was, okay, younger girls, you can go now when you're 19. Like, let's really put this pressure on you to go. Yeah. And I think it really puts emphasis on how much the church drills into women's minds that they need to be married super young. Because a lot of people will defend it and be like, no, that's not a thing. They don't force you to be a housewife. But if they're telling you, well, if you're not married by 19, which is so young to go on this mission, it just makes you think, oh, what's wrong with me? If I can't get married by the time I'm 19, I guess I'll go on a mission. Like, were you having those thoughts that you felt? Did you feel behind? I didn't feel behind, I think, because I was like dating someone at the time. So it's like, oh, like... I have someone lined up. <laughs> and so yeah. I just have to go on my mission, though, because he's still on his. And so oh. if I go on my mission, by the time I get back, we can go get married. So it just oh my makes gosh. sense. <laughs> Mom, Colette, what were your thoughts when Keely told you that she wanted to go on a mission? Oh, I was all for it. Because, I, I mean, you know, being Mormon... You're taught the more you serve, the more you serve in the church, the more blessings you get. So I'm like, man, lady, you are going to have so many blessings. Like, I was all (laughs) for it. Yeah, big time for it. I was a total supporter. You didn't go on a mission, Colette, but you were very devout, right? Yes, like went to church all the time. I was going to the temple twice a week. Me and my husband would go to the temple for our date nights every Thursday. (laughs) Primary president, like I was knee deep in. Like, yeah, that was my whole life was the church. The Mormon church was my entire life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so this was probably a super proud moment for you. Oh, I was so proud. Bonus (laughs) Bonus <laughs> points. You're going to get all the, the bonus points from the people in the ward, right? <laughs> yes. Like to be able to like say, yeah, my child's going on a mission. Like they're serving the Lord. Like <laughs> we are bringing people into this church. Like I was so proud. I was so very proud. And that's why I kind of, I don't know. I feel like I, I kept pushing that issue of I mean, she'll tell you she wanted to kind of do a service mission. And I was like, no, you've talked about serving a church mission. Like you're sticking with the church mission. So Keely, tell us about tell us about those thoughts. So you just wanted to do a mission that didn't have to do with the LDS church. Yeah, I wanted to go on like one of those service missions where you could go to a foreign country and just teach English or something. And I had my mission call and I remember sitting in the car with my parents and I was like, mom, what if I don't want to go on a mission? Like, what if I just want to go on a service mission? Like, I really want to do this. And she was like, no, this is something you wanted to do. If you're serving a mission, like you're serving the Lord, you're going to go out and do a mission for the church. You're not going to go and teach English. And so I was like, okay, 
I'm going on a mission. <laughs> We're doing this mission instead. Yeah, I did that. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. She can admit it. Yeah. yeah, I did that. <laughs> well, I'm like, in my mind, I'm thinking, no, like you can't back up on your plan. Like you told me you're going on a mission and you need to do this, like stick with that dream. And yeah, I, I mistakes made mistakes made. <laughs> that's okay that we all make mistakes going back to the like sorry mm-hmm. what I said when I was Mormon t-shirt that we all need mm-hmm. yeah. um, <laughs> exactly so then tell us what it was like Keely when you got your mission call where did you get your mission call to did you really feel like because you were devout so did you feel like this was of God and oh maybe this is the right thing and maybe the service mission was just a dumb idea like what was going through your mind when you got your mission call With my mission call, I kept saying, okay, I'm only going on my mission if it's foreign and I get to speak another language. That's the only way I'm going to go because I do not want to go to California or Texas or someone that (laughs) every other girl goes to. (laughs) (laughs) That's where they send all the girls. (laughs) I was like, I'm not going there. (laughs) I refuse. And so when I opened up my call and I read Argentina, I was like, okay. Spanish. Don't know if I want to learn Spanish, but it's a foreign country. So I got my wish there. Then I kind of was like, okay, like I can handle this. Like we're, we're going somewhere foreign. I got my wish. So then it kind of felt like the right place for me because it was a foreign country like I wanted and I was learning a new language. And so at that point, mm-hmm. I was happy to go somewhere else. And I was glad that it wasn't like Texas or something. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have sucked. Okay, so we've we've talked about this a few times on the podcast. You can watch the True Mormon Quotes episode, which I can link, and also the Zelf on the Shelf episode. But for those who haven't seen those, explain what happens before you actually go to Argentina. You have all the paperwork, get your passport, all of the fun things. And then I was supposed to go to the Provo MTC, but then the week before... About the week before, they ended up changing my yeah. MTC to the Argentina MTC. Oh. So I ended up, you know, last minute just going to Argentina a little bit sooner than planned. And that was, to be honest, a shit show. I got <sighs> there and there were only four of us that were American. We were the only ones that spoke English. Everyone else spoke Spanish. And oh, we walked no. in and we were like, hello, like we're here. And no one understood us. We were like, awesome. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, we had our instructors that understood, like, English a little bit. So they talked to us and helped us out. And they were the ones that tried to teach us Spanish. But it was, like, I want to say it was eight weeks of just trying to learn the language, trying to learn the lessons. And two times they sent us out into the middle of the capital. And we're like, okay go try to talk to random people and teach them about the gospel. When literally all I knew how to say was, do you want to know about Jesus Christ? And when people said yes, I was like, well, I don't know what else to tell you. So here's a pamphlet and run away. (laughs) Oh no! So that was my MTC experience. (laughs) I wonder why they changed it. Because normally, like you said, you go to Provo and then you have all of that time to learn the language before you're immersed into the mission. Yeah, we, we at least had like the eight weeks to try to learn it, but I feel like you don't really learn it until you're on your mission and you're in these homes really just lost trying to figure out what you're hearing and what you're saying back to people. 
Oh my gosh, I can only imagine. There's been missionaries that were not from the LDS church that come to my door, like probably a few weeks ago, these cute little ladies in their long skirts and they they open the door or I open the door and they start speaking in Spanish and I'm like, huh? <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> no. And then I heard something like, biblioteca and i was like i think that means book or bible and i was like oh jesus and they're like yes and i'm like yeah i'm good (laughs) thanks but i can only imagine what it's like for them or what it was like for you to try and convince someone of something and you can't there's that language barrier and you can't really tell them what you need to tell them and they're looking at you like no entiendo like sorry i'm (laughs) out of here so was that i mean did you have any success where people nice about wanting to at least try and let you tell them about the Lord or the church? I mean, after I was there for a bit and finally got like the grasp of how to have like a basic conversation of and teach the lessons, I felt like it was a little bit better. We had small successes, but the sad thing now that I think about it is we were focusing on people that we probably shouldn't have been teaching. Kids, Mm. Like we baptized a kid and I was like, should we really be teaching a kid? Because he doesn't understand what we're really teaching him. And then an older man, he was single, had no family. He was just alone. And so it's like, I think about it. And these people that we did have success with, they were really just people that needed people to come and talk to them. And so really we were kind of like that social outlet in a way. And they were just agreeing to whatever we were saying just so we would go and visit them. Yeah, yeah. We talked about that a lot with Tanner on the Zelf on the Shelf episode that they were just like, yeah, come and play soccer to these kids and then you can play soccer if you get in the special bath. And like they had no idea what they were signing up for and the parents didn't know. They just signed whatever so that their kids can go play. And yeah, it's kind of, it's really sad and it's such a bummer because on one hand, I can understand how these people who need companionship, the church can give them that sense of community, which on one hand is great. Like, I I wish people were more accepting and open arms like most churches, right? But they shouldn't have to get baptized and make those covenants in order to get that community because usually what happens is once the missionaries leave, then their friends are gone. And what if they didn't make any friends in the ward and they're kind of back to square one and now they've made these promises and it's kind of a weird, a weird thing. Yeah. Did you have people following up with you after you left? Like, hey, where'd you go? (laughs) I, for the first like six months after my mission, I had a lot of people that would send me messages on like Facebook Messenger and things like that. And I tried to stay in contact with them, but after a while, it's hard especially after leaving the church too. I think that's been hard for me too, because the ones that I did teach, it's hard for me to still hear them talk about church because I'm like, oh, I yeah. taught you those things. And I, I feel bad about it. I feel guilty because you were perfect the way you were before I tried to change your life around. But I don't really contact them now anymore. It's been a bit. For those who aren't familiar with the Mormon rules and standards for baptism, what were some of the things, like you just said, you you changed someone's life around in order for them to fit the boxes. What were some of the things that you had to get people to change on? Everything, especially in Argentina. Everything. Oh, no. (laughs) 
there was this one couple and they were the kindest people I've ever met in my life. And they lived together and boyfriend, girlfriend, so cute. And we started talking to them and they were really receptive of everything, but they were living together. And if they Mm -hmm. wanted to be baptized, they needed to stop living together or they needed to get married. And he smoked and he drank, and so he needed to stop smoking and drinking. And so that was something we had to work on with him as well. And so there, and she drank coffee, and so that was something we had to stop as well. Like, hey, you can't drink coffee anymore. That's it's bad for you. It's a horrible thing. That's the worst sin ever. So there were just so many little things that we were trying to change about these people when they were perfect people already. Oh, man, that's rough. I'm, so I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but did you ever end up messaging these people and being like, hey, you can smoke. It's fine. <laughs> or, I was wrong. Coffee is great. <laughs> so that couple, they kind of noticed that I had like posted pictures where I had like tattoos and stuff. And they're like, hey, you have tattoos. Like, what's up with that? And I was like, I actually left the church. And they were like, oh, OK, like, that's cool. Like, why? And it was like, there's just things that I have found inconsistency with and I've decided to part my ways. And they're like, okay. And I was like, so like, it's your decision what you decide to do, but like, I no longer believe it. And I want to apologize for the things like I taught you. And they were like, it's okay. Like we are really happy with the ward. And so they've stayed in it. Like they stayed more for that community. I mean, the ward paid for them to give married really them to move into a new house like they really provided for this couple so they could get baptized so I think they were more staring into the staying in the religion for kind of that community but they asked and I was like hey I don't believe in it (laughs) but I I still love you but that's kind of the only couple I've told there's a couple others where I don't even think they have Facebooks yeah so I can't really reach out to them but If I ever go back, there's this one lady where she wanted me to swim with her, and I told her I couldn't Mm. because as a missionary, you can't swim. But if I ever go back, I'm going to show up to her house in a swimsuit and say, (laughs) I would love to swim with you right now. In a bikini swimsuit? (laughs) A bikini, yes, because I'm allowed to wear them. (laughs) Okay, so you just said that the church paid for this couple to get married and to move into a new house, yet they provide no financial support. Okay, maybe a little, tell me if I'm wrong, to the actual missionaries doing the actual work. And that just made my blood boil because you often hear stories of missionaries who say, oh yeah, I didn't eat for a while because I didn't have money for food. Yet your parents back home or you are literally paying money to go on a mission. So, Colette, how much did it cost to send Keely? It was four fifty a month. Oh my gosh! So four hundred and fifty dollars a month. Yep. You are paying to be a salesman for a company that doesn't. I mean, Keely, how much did they give you for food, or did you have like an allowance for food? I got two thousand pesos a month, and one forty pesos was equal to one U.S. dollar. So what is that? I'm so bad with it math. was <laughs> it was like fifty dollars. I got fifty of those. Fifty dollars a month. Four fifty. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you have fifty dollars. Yeah, she did not have enough money for food. Oh my gosh! I like you could buy the bare minimum 
with what you were given because the families there were already poor. Yeah. So they're not very often inviting you over for lunches. And that's what yeah. they're expecting. They're expecting for you to go to these families' houses for lunches. But if they can't feed their own family, they're not feeding the missionaries too. Yeah. And so they're expecting that of us, but most of the time it's not happening. And so we're cooking for ourselves and every now and then like you could cook the bare minimum, but I was spending my own money if I wanted to like have good food. Yeah. I was like, I really want ice cream right now. Oh, well, that's 300 pesos, but it's worth it. I'm <laughs> getting myself some ice cream. <laughs> yeah, because you're 24-7 doing things for the church. You barely have any time to yourself. So I don't even know how you had time. You found the time to make yourself food. You would probably have to eat out often because you're out proselytizing, right? Yeah, what me and my companions would do where we were living at one of my areas, we had a pizza place below us underneath our apartment. And so when we got home, it was around like 9 30, 10 o'clock at night. We would go downstairs, grab some pizza or empanadas, and then we'd grab like a small little Coke from the store that was next door to the pizza place. And then we'd go back upstairs and eat it. So that was like our nightly ritual. Just oh my pizza gosh. And Coke. <laughs> pizza and Coke. So how was your, how was your health during that time? I definitely gained weight on my mission. <laughs> I <was gonna> say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the bread there too, very, very uh, fattening. So I gained some weight on my mission for sure. Okay. So you're not eating healthy. You're not sleeping very much because don't you have to wake up at around 6 a.m. for scripture study? Yep. Oh my gosh, 6 a.m. Yeah, 6, 6.30 a.m. And you're supposed to like work out before, but when you're exhausted, you don't really want to work out. So instead no. you just sit there and do some like yoga or something. You're like, okay, we're, we're stretching. <laughs> <laughs> and then you start prayers and scripture study. This is sounding like the military. The more and more I hear from missionaries, <laughs> I'm like, this is even more intense than <laughs> some people that I know who are in the military. So... I know that you are having issues with your back. So explain to everyone what happened there and the support that you were or were not given. <laughs> not. It was a great old time. So I guess it probably started all from like getting like a super bad stomach bug. I had like super bad stomach issues. I could not eat. I was like throwing up. It was the worst oh. ever. And I was reading my journal the other night and it literally said like, I haven't eaten in a couple days, but it's fine, LOL. So it's like, that's how you feel as a missionary. You're like, I haven't eaten in a couple days, but it's fine. I remember like hallucinating from that. Like I was hallucinating about chicken and cupcakes. It was wow. horrible. But when I went to the hospital, they gave me a shot in my back and said, this will fix it. Like this will stop you from puking, but you need to eat rice and cheese to heal your other symptoms. I'm like, okay. Rice and, rice and cheese. cheese. <laughs> you were. <Yep. laughs> Not in America anymore. <laughs> That's funny. Yep. <laughs> so then after that, I started to get like a lump in my back and it was where like that shot injection point was. And that's kind of when I noticed that I started to have back pain. And I was like, okay, my back is hurting, but I kind of just slid it aside. I was like, okay, it's no big deal. But then it started to get progressively worse. And I was like, okay, is it from this lump in my back or is it something else? My back pain is killing me. And so we scheduled an appointment for me to go get my back looked at. But on our way to the appointment, I fell over and 
messed up my knee. So I instead had to get my knee checked out because it was like super swollen. And so they x-rayed that instead. Um, But it was fine. Everything was fine. They just gave me anti-inflammatories. But he checked out my back and he was like, oh, it's just from the shot that they gave you. It's a little like cyst of fluid. It's fine. You'll be okay. The anti-inflammatory should actually help with that. It's like, okay, great. I got transferred to my new area and that's when it really got bad. I noticed that my back pain was just horrible. I felt really stiff all the time. It was radiating to my legs. If I walked for too long, I just wanted to like sit and just cry because it was Mm. the worst pain that I've ever felt before. And so eventually I, you know, got in contact with my mission president's wife because that's who we're supposed to call if we have medical needs. And she told me ibuprofen. So she told me just to take ibuprofen. And I was like, okay, that's not going to cut it. Like there's something wrong. And after like time trying to just deal with her and tell her, no, there's something wrong. Eventually the like mission doctor over the South American missions, he called and he said, I think that the nerve by that little ball in your back is what's causing the pain in your back. And so he decided to get me some muscle relaxers. So they issued muscle relaxers and didn't really do much. Wasn't helping. And there was an hermana in our ward and she was like, okay, you're in pain and I can see it. I feel bad. Let's get you to a chiropractor or a physical therapist. So she recommended someone (laughs) and she's like, but to go here, you have to have an order from a doctor. So we went to a doctor and I met with him and he goes, oh yeah, let's get you some more muscle relaxers. And he like pulls open this cabinet and he just like grabs this scoop of samples and he like lays them on the cabinet, like on the table and he goes, here's the muscle relaxers. (laughs) And I'm like, Oh, jeez. So he just gives me all these drugs. And so I was like, okay, well, drugs are great. And then <laughs> he proceeded to tell me, put lemon on your butt. Okay. He said to chop up a lemon in halves and put it on my butt. And that that would stop my back pain. Oh. As a mom, she's emailing me saying, Mom, my back is really hurting. I am having a hard time walking. The doctor wants me to put a lemon on my ass. And I'm like, a lemon? And she's like, yeah. She sends me a picture of her laying down with this lemon on her butt. And I'm like, and that's going to solve the problem. Okay. I was oh so Oh, my frustrated. gosh. I'm so glad you interjected. I was just about to say, Clint, what was going through your mind? Yeah. Lemon didn't work. I will <laughs> say that. Lemon did not solve the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Colette, when she's telling you all of this, like what is going through your mind as a mom? Like your child is in this other country and no one's really helping her. Oh, complete panic. Like panic because I'm not there. I can't help her. I can only email her. So by the time I emailed her, I'm not getting a response till the next time we email. So I don't know what's going on with her. She's telling me how much she's in pain. And I'm like, I cannot believe I kept saying, I remember kept saying, where's the mission president? Like, where are these people helping you that are supposed to be protecting you and watching out for you? That was what was frustrating. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I was scared. I was worried. Like, are she causing more damage to her back? Like, what is going on here? And she didn't know she was putting lemons on her butt. 
Yeah, and taking mystery pills. <laughs> yes, lots of mystery yeah, pills. mystery pills <laughs> that that made me so loopy, and I could not feel my knees. My companion had the best time filming me because I was on drugs <gasps> on those drugs. Oh, it was no. the funniest thing. Like I, I was out of it. So yeah, I had those, and then I got that order to see a physical therapist. So then I started seeing this physical therapist. She hooked me up to like the shock therapy things where they like try to shock your back. Didn't do anything. She tried massages, which was probably the best part of my mission, getting massages. Uh I loved it, but still didn't help. (laughs) Didn't help her do anything. So then she was like, okay, chiropractor, this will resolve the issue. So then she sent an order for me to go to a chiropractor. And I went to this chiropractor and he spoke English, which was fantastic. He Mm. went to school in Florida. And so I was like, yay, like trusted source. Yeah. And we went and he did all of the cracking of my back. And that night I went home and around like two in the morning, I woke up to a bloody nose and I've gotten bloody noses before. So I was like, oh, it's fine. Well, then it kept going and all of a sudden it's coming out of my mouth too. (gasps) And I was like, this is a problem. It's, it's everywhere. There's a lot of blood. And it was like draining out of my, like my nose and my mouth. There was blood everywhere. And so it was about 20 minutes and it was not stopping. And so I was like, I need to wake up my companion. So she, I go to her, wake her up and I'm like, mirrors, there's blood everywhere. And she goes, Peterson, go back to bed. I was like, no, there's blood everywhere. And she goes, blood. And so she gets up, she looks in the bathroom and she goes, oh man. And so she calls the mission president and she's like, president, like there is blood everywhere. She's bleeding. Like you need to fix this. And he says, we can say a prayer. And she goes, a prayer's not going to cut it right now. And she hung up on him, which I love her for that. Yeah. I will never forget that moment. That was the most epic thing she could have ever done. And so she called this Hermana in our ward, Hermana Kabija, and she came and picked me up and we drove to the hospital. Now, it was a Friday and they said that there were no doctors there because it was a holiday weekend. And so there wouldn't be a doctor there until Tuesday. And so they said they couldn't do x-rays until Tuesday. And all they could do is just like stuff gauze up my nose and give me sugary things until Tuesday. And so that's what we did. I just went home, ate a lot of sugary things. That next morning, I ended up having the same thing happen. There was just blood absolutely everywhere (gasps) and just gauzed it up some more. (laughs) It's a great time. It lasts like a half an hour each time, just blood all over the place. It was horrific but they said it was because the chiropractor adjusted my neck too hard never heard of that before but okay we're gonna go with it we're gonna go with it that's what they said happened <laughs> but tuesday we went back to the hospital and we got our x-rays done and instead of like telling me like hey this popped up on the x-ray they just handed me my x-rays and i looked down and was like what am i supposed to do with this like, yeah this is a blurry x-ray what do i do with it And so we had to schedule an appointment for someone to decipher the x-ray. And so we waited like three hours to get a doctor to tell me what was on the x-ray. We went into this room and he was like, oh, there's there's something wrong with your disc. It looks like it's a herniated disc. You probably need to get an MRI of this. Like, okay. And he was like, we don't do that here. You need to go to the Capitol. Of course not. And (laughs) so, yeah, yeah. Because hospitals in Argentina are horrible. (laughs) 
And so the hermana that was with us, she was like, I am so sick of this. Like, I have seen you suffer. I'm over it. And so she told her husband to call the stake president. And like her husband was like, stake president, you are calling the mission president right now. And you are telling him that he needs to help her or we're going to fix it ourselves and we're going to help her. Yeah. (laughs) And so he called the mission president and stake president and everyone and they got it resolved. My mission president and the mission doctor that night called me and they were like, hey, we are so sorry. We didn't realize like you were in this much pain and that it was this big of an issue. Our next meeting that we have all together as a mission, we'll have you come to the Capitol and we'll get an MRI done. So it was like a couple weeks later. A couple weeks later? You had to wait weeks? Yeah, it was like two weeks later. So they didn't care enough still. Wow. (laughs) I was like four hours away from the capital. So it wasn't worth, you know, my health wasn't worth the four hour bus drive (laughs) back. Wow. They did an MRI. And after the MRI, the doctor was like, hey, your discs are herniated. And really, like, all we can do is either give you a steroid shot or surgery. These are the two options that we can do to help you. And so I talked to the mission doctor and he was like, do the steroid shot. If that doesn't make you feel any better by Monday, then we're sending you home. Mm. And so (laughs) they put in the order for the steroid shot. And when we went over to get it, it was literally just the shot. The pharmacy handed me the shot to give to myself. Oh my gosh. And I was like, I'm not giving myself the shot in my back. Yeah. (laughs) So I was like, help, what do we do? And they were like, oh, you need to schedule another appointment to have someone give you the shot. Okay. And so I had to wait a couple more hours to have someone give me the shot. But then ultimately it didn't end up helping. I waited till Monday, didn't work. And that's when the mission doctor was like, okay, you're not feeling any better. We're sending you home so they can figure out what they need to do. Wow. That was my whole fiasco of Argentina, lemons and all. (laughs) Lemons and all. How long were you there before they sent you home? I was there for seven months. Okay. That's a, a good amount of time. And meanwhile, were you out there being like, I just wanted to go on a service mission? <laughs> I think like before I wanted to do it. But then once I was out there, I was like, oh, this country is super cool. Like, I love the people here. And I was kind of just like in this zone of missionary work that it wasn't even a second thought at that point. I wanted to be there. Okay. So we got the whole hell thing down, which is atrocious. I cannot believe they just brushed you off like that while they're paying for someone else's wedding to join the church and give them money. Obviously, I'm upset about it. Um, But what we did not discuss is how while you were out there, dear old mom here (laughs) said, by the way, (laughs) we're not not going to church anymore. So you're dealing with this physical ailment and knowing that your parents have left the church, the people who raised you in the church and wanted you to go on this mission – What's going through your mind? And then we're going to get to Colette and let her plead her case. (laughs) (laughs) So the the day that my mom told me, we went to the zoo that morning. And then we went to, they call them Seabers or Cybers. Um, That's where you go like read your emails and went to go get read the emails, expecting all exciting good things. <laughs> and I open up this email and my mom tells me, hey, we are not going to church anymore. We think that the Book of Mormon is a sham. 
and Joseph Smith and Brigham Young were nasty men. The church okay. is a multi-billion organization and they do not donate enough money to humanitarian aid. And I'm sitting there like, what? <laughs> I'm on a did not sugarcoat it. You decide to do all. this? <laughs> like she told me the truth. She told me her, her reasoning behind it. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so all these thoughts were just like flooding through my head. I was like, I'm on a mission. My parents are supposed to be blessed right now. And instead they're leaving the church. Like what's going on here? Yeah. It, it was a lot. It was, it was a bomb. <laughs> I know that sometimes what happens with people in the church because they're conditioned to think this way, when things are going wrong, you think it's your fault that you're not praying hard enough. Did you have any of that happen to you? I don't think so. I think it was because I was like on my mission that it was like, oh, like I'm doing absolutely everything I can be doing. Like I'm praying every day, multiple times a day. I'm reading my scriptures more than I probably ever have in my entire life. Like I didn't think there was more that I could do. So I don't think I really like felt like it was me, but I was confused as to like why, because my family should have been receiving the blessings from me being on that mission. It seems like People either go on their missions and become more converted to the church or they realize it's a sham like your parents did and leave the church. (laughs) Do you feel like you were becoming more converted by reading your scriptures and praying? I think it was more of a conversion because before my mission, I never really got that answer to the church because growing up, Mm. you always hear like, oh, if you go like if you read your scriptures and pray about it, you'll get your answer. And I never got that answer. And I always thought there was something wrong with me that I wasn't doing things the way I should have been to get the answer. And so on my mission, I was reading all of the time and praying all of the time. And so I think that I had more of my conversion there, even though I never really felt like I got my answer. I think I just started to believe it more because I was teaching about it and I was expecting other people to believe in it, too. Yeah, you kind of force yourself to believe it. Just like they say, if you don't have a testimony, bear it until it's true. Something like that. Or you just, and you're out there, you're spending 24-7 eating pizza with a horrible (laughs) backache. And if it's not true, then it's all for nothing. And so that's also something really hard to deal with. So now when your parents come to you and say, yeah, this is all a sham. You Did you feel like you have to double down even more at that point? Yeah, at that point it was, okay, I'm finding all of the scriptures to try to convince my parents that they're wrong. I am doing all of the research and I am just proving them wrong because this is right. I'm on a mission because it's true and they're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that seems like the logical explanation. That's probably what I would have done if I was out there. <laughs> like, no, you guys don't know. I'm a missionary. I've been taught all the things. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm the one that's right. Like, clearly, I'm the most I'm righteous the because I'm here and you are not. Yeah. yeah, I went to the MTC. You didn't. Like, I know what I'm talking about. So I think that's the craziest thing about the craziest. There's so many crazy things about the church. But the thing that is so interesting is that they are able to hide so much information from their members and keep them in this bubble to where they really don't know the answers until they go in the deep, dark, scary places of the internet, which is where we uncover things. And we, because we're taught to think that if we feel adverse to something that's Satan, even though it's just our confirmation bias saying, this doesn't sound like what I've been taught, so it's evil. 
So it's really, really hard to pierce that information bubble. So I want to jump over to mom now, Colette. What was it like for you to pierce that information bubble? What was it that made you recognize it after being such a devout member, going to the temple weekly? Yeah, like three times a week. (laughs) Three times a week for your date night. I mean, being so invested and having a daughter that's out on a mission, what was it that first made you wake up a little bit? The first thing that kind of got me confused was I was diagnosed with a bunch of autoimmune diseases. And I remember asking a state president, he was in the state presidency. I said, um, in my patriarchal blessing, it says I will be protected from disease, disaster, and harm. And I said, mm-hmm. how do you explain that I have all these diseases when it specifically says I will be protected from them? I mean, I took my blessing like to the T, like everything's going to happen as long as I'm being so righteous, doing what I'm supposed to. And I remember all he said was, we don't know if these blessings to pertain to this life or the next. And I remember thinking in my mind, well, wait a minute. In the next life, we're going to have perfect bodies. So diseases aren't even going to be a thing. So my blessing clearly pertains to this life, not the next. So that kind of got me confused. I sat on that for quite a few months, kind of put it on the shelf, like, I'm not going to deal with it. We're still going to keep going to the temple and keep learning. Well, then one day in Sunday school, an old bishop was teaching the Sunday school lesson, and he was talking, and I don't remember if he was quoting scripture or what a prophet said, but he was quoting that women who marry non-return missionaries, they and their children will not be blessed. And I'm hearing all this and I'm like, what is going on? Like, this is not making any sense to me. And I remember a ward member, she got irritated and she said, wait a minute, I don't agree with you. You're trying to tell me that my three beautiful grandkids that have a father that did not serve a mission, they're not going to be blessed because of that. And I remember thinking the same thing. And I looked to my friend next to me because she too was married to a non-missionary And we both just kind of shrugged our shoulders and said, well, I guess we're not blessed. (laughs) So long story short, that really kind of just, it kept bugging and it kept festering. And I thought, I got to look into this. I got to find out where it says I'm not going to be blessed and my children aren't going to be blessed. And this was before Keely left on her mission. So I start researching. Well, you know what happens when you start researching. You go down (laughs) rabbit holes of information that you had no idea existed. I'm reading about Joseph Smith facing a hat with rocks. I'm reading about polyandry, all the polygamy, like all this stuff I had never like understood or heard about. And I was getting very frustrated. So that's just kind of where it started. I literally just kept researching and researching and I kept it quiet. I didn't want Keely, the boys, we have two boys and I didn't want my husband knowing. I thought, I just got to, I got to figure things out on my own before I say anything. And then that is when Keely left on her mission and I'm researching stuff, but I'm still going to church. I thought I'm going to keep going to the temple. I am going to find the right answers. And I didn't, I just kept finding more stuff that was just like, 
like I've always told my kids, it's the Santa Claus effect. Once you find out the truth, you can no longer believe. And I was Mm -hmm. getting at that point where I'm like, I now know the truth about this church that I can't believe it anymore. Like, it's impossible. So one day I remember finally thinking to myself, I'm going to tell my husband I've been researching stuff and this is what's going on in my head. And by this time, I want to say Keely had been on her mission for two or three months, I want to say. So I I had it planned. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to tell him we're going to go. Well, he comes home and he said, um, I need to talk to you about something. And I said, what? And he goes, I had an interesting conversation with a customer today. And I'm like, okay, what about? And He's like, well, you know how the church says that we can't call ourselves Mormon anymore? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, I was t- I was joking around to him like, yeah, we can't call ourselves Mormon anymore. And he said, well, I don't call myself a Mormon anymore. And I haven't for a while. And oh. Richard was like, <laughs> I mean, this guy was way devout too, like way into it. And so Richard was like, well, what do you mean you don't call yourself Mormon? And he goes, Richard, there are things with the history you have no idea about, you've never heard about, you need to go home and research it with your wife. So he is coming home to me to tell me, he goes, this guy tells us we need to read the CES letter. We need to read a letter to my wife. We need to go to Mormon stories. And I'm like, so my face is just, I'm sure white at this moment. Cause I'm like, oh my gosh, I was just going to tell you the same thing. And so. Wow. You're like, here's my binder. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So literally I, I was so relieved though. And so I spilled myself. I'm like, okay, well, this is what I've looked at. This is what I have figured out. And I'm like, I don't know if I can believe in this church anymore. And he's like, well, let's do this together. So every night when he'd get home from work, we'd sit out back and we would just literally read like chapter at a time of the CES letter, letter to my wife. We would look at podcasts on Mormon stories, like any information we could get. And finally, I don't know, it was crazy. I would say about a week after doing that, I mean, and we're we're talking total distraught, like frustration irritation. Like, I don't want to believe it. I want to keep myself in this Mormon bubble. I want to keep Mm -hmm. believing it. I kept thinking, Keely's on a mission. Like, you know, we have these blessings. Like, I will find the right answers. And I didn't. I kept finding stuff that was telling me otherwise, that it wasn't true. And so, yeah, we just, one day we were sitting there after reading one night and we both looked at each other and I said, I can't do this. And he goes, I can't either. And he goes, what now? And that's when it yeah. like hits you. It's like, oh my gosh, like this whole religion, my whole life, I felt like was a sham. And it was like, all of a sudden, I'm this horse that has my blinders off. And I'm like, holy cow, there's a whole world around me that I had no idea existed because I was so focused on this one thing of making it to the celestial kingdom, making my kids be perfect and and I mean, that's what you do. And it was just crazy to know that there was more to life. There was more out there, but at the same time, it was that heartbreak. I mean, countless hours of crying and, and not knowing what to do. And now what do we do about our kids? And we've raised them in it and we have a daughter on a mission and 
Now, what do we do? I mean, we went back and forth for days, just not knowing what to do. How do we break it to our kids? We've been so honest with them our whole lives with everything. I mean, so open with them. They can talk to us about anything. Like, we've got to tell them. So that's kind of where it all started. (laughs) Yeah, that's wild and so hard and relatable. Anyone who's gone through deconstruction process can be like, yep, that's exactly how it was for me too. Because on one hand, you feel this ultimate betrayal from something that you held so dearly and you gave all of your time and talent and energy and money to. And then on the other hand, you're like, oh, wait, so that means I can drink coffee now? Wait, does that mean I can wear tank tops now? Like, does that mean, you know, you start to imagine what life could be like when you realize that those things aren't sinful. It's just being a human. And when you realize the origin of those things about how no one in the early days of the church followed the word of wisdom. It was just like a guideline where they had their own distilleries and wineries. They had their own parties. (laughs) Yeah. And they literally (laughs) drank wine for sacrament. So you start to think, oh, well, I can be a normal person and not feel bad about it. And this this shame blanket or shame shroud, maybe I should coin that term, the shame shroud, comes off (laughs) and you realize that you're just, you're okay and you can just be yourself. I mean, what was it like for you when you did kind of come into yourself? Like you got that awesome haircut and you got some tattoos that were very sentimental. What were the reactions of family and friends around you when this started happening? Um, I got mixed. Um, I don't know. I just, I kind of went through a transition of, okay, now who am I outside of the church? Because the church is all I've known. Mm-hmm. You figure I, we were sealed in the temple when I was 19. Like the church is all I've known. And I just, I don't know. I wanted to find out who I was and what I liked. And I'm like, you know what? I want short hair like pink. We're going to do it. So yeah. Shaved my head and cut my hair off. I mean, had long hair. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I want tattoos that give me meaning. And I had, so I got butterflies on my shoulder for each one of my kids. And I don't know. I just, I wanted to figure out who I was and what I liked, but I did. I got mixed reviews. Um, I got a lot of positive, but I also got the few looks of like, oh, she's a sinner. Like. Oh, she's gone the uh, on the dark side. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, definitely got both. But I would say for the most part, I got more positive. But from, yeah, definitely certain family members got the negative. Yeah, I mean, I've been told that one family member has said that their spirit can't be around ours anymore because we are evil. So, I mean, no. that gives you an idea of, you know, how some family members feel. But but for the most part, a lot of family has been very supportive. And we have appreciated that because we are the same people. We have not changed. We just do not believe in the same things that we used to. You know, we're, we're not going out and murdering people. We're not going out and doing bad things. We're not doing drugs. Like, that is the biggest... I think that I would say that is the hardest thing is trying to convince people that you are the same person on the inside. 
Yeah. You have not changed. You literally just have changed your beliefs. Yeah, I think that's really frustrating. And so I'm wondering, Keely, when you got home, how did you view your parents? Did you view them as different people? <laughs> what was going through your mind? <laughs> um, I mean, getting off the plane, I did. <laughs> we got in the car after they picked me up and <laughs> I looked to the front of the car and they had like Dunkin' Donuts coffees. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Uh-oh. <laughs> they they're 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 diving into the deep end. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was like, oh my gosh, like they really have left the church. I think that was kind of a shock for me, just kind of seeing those changes. But then I mean they were super supportive of me. They were like, Hey, like you can keep going to church, we're gonna support you, like that's what you believe and we love you. You're our daughter. Like whatever you do with your life, we're supporting you regardless. This is just where we're at. And this is what we believe. Mm. And we're going to do our thing and you're going to do yours. And I was like, okay, cool. And that's kind of how it was. But then I just really started to realize like how happy they were. I think that was like the biggest thing I noticed in them was how happy they all were together. Like they were playing games all together. They were constantly laughing and just having fun. And I was like, huh, that's, that's different. Like we used to have fun, but like, it seemed like real fun at that point. Like they genuinely wanted to play games together because they wanted to be around each other. So it was kind of those things that I noticed. It wasn't the coffee or not going to church that was different. It was kind of how they interacted with each other. Wait, their countenance was brighter? (laughs) (laughs) I would say yes. (laughs) You know, they always say your countenance is darker once you leave, but I think it's brighter. (laughs) Exactly. So you're noticing these changes. And then at what point did you decide maybe there's something to this that I need to look into? So it was probably like five, six-ish months later. I was like, okay, why are they happy? Why? Because they shouldn't be happy. <laughs> <So> yeah. <funny. laughs> because it, it's like that, that mindset that when you leave the church, you're miserable. Your life yeah. goes downhill. Everything's going to be the worst yeah. for you. And so I was like, why is my family happy? Why are they being successful? Like they should be miserable so that they want to come back to church. Yeah. But they weren't. And so I was like, okay, something's wrong. And then I remember thinking like, this is just going to be the worst when I'm in the celestial kingdom and they're not. And that's really when I was like, oh my gosh, I just thought that. I thought that I'm going to the celestial kingdom and my family's not. Like, I can't believe I just thought about that. That That's just a horrible mindset. And so I remember asking my mom like, okay, why? Like, what are some of the reasons that you decided to leave the church? And she was like, you know, I don't want to explain it to you. But here's a couple resources that you can read that really helped me kind of discover why I wanted to leave. So she gave me the CES letter, a letter to my wife, and she had a couple of the Mormon Stories podcasts that were all like ex-missionaries. And so she was like, you can listen to these as well. And I was like, okay. She gave them to me. Didn't do a thing with them. I was like, no. (laughs) I'm not doing anything with these. I was like, I just wanted her to give me the information and then not do anything with it. But she gave me the information. And then we, I just, I wanted to prove them wrong. I think that's very much my personality is I have to be right. And I have to like know everything. And so I remember 
we were sitting at the table and we were comparing Bibles. And I was like, well, you know, the Bible says that there's going to be a prophet and it's Joseph Smith. And so that's when my parents were like, does any other Bible say that? Or is it just the Mormon Bible? And so they pulled out their Bible and it doesn't say that verse in the Bible. And I was like, are you serious? <laughs> I was like, that's okay. And so then I just kind of shut up because I was like, oh, I just got proven wrong. Guy was wrong. Yeah. And so that's kind of the, I, it was after that that I just was like, okay, maybe I should read the CES letter. Maybe I should read these things that my mom gave me just to really understand like what it was that made them leave. And so I one night couldn't sleep and I read everything. I stayed up all night long just reading a letter to my wife, reading the CES letter, scrolling through the Mormon Stories podcast and just watching random ones on there. And I remember just going through everything and I was like, wait, you don't see pictures of Joseph Smith looking in a hat. You see pictures of Joseph Smith with the golden plates right in front mm -hmm. of it. And there were just so many things that I was like, holy crap. We've been lied to our whole lives about these things. And so that next morning I went up to my mom and I was like, you guys are right. Like I read everything and I was wrong. You're right. And that was kind of when I started to go through that whole crisis of figuring out what I was going to do. Wow. What was your thought, Colette, when she said that? I was excited, but it was like a it was like a different excitement. It was uh, a happy for her that she was willing to look into it and to be open to it and to make those decisions on her own. Because like she said, we never wanted to push anything on the kids. Mm -hmm. It was, we just said, like she said, we said, here's the information we've looked at. I didn't want to give specifics because everybody's got different specifics that bother them, stick out. I wanted her to make that choice for herself. But when she came up and finally told me that, I'm like, wow. Like, sh I just remember, I remember saying to her, and I don't remember if you know this, Kaylee, but I remember saying, you are never going to understand the happiness you're going to find out. Because that mm -hmm. was the biggest thing for me is the happiness in my marriage, with my children, in our family. It is the weirdest thing because you think... The only way to have true happiness is being in the Mormon church. And when I found the happiness outside of it, I it literally changed my life. And so I was more excited of her that way, that she was not going to be constricted anymore. And she could make her own choices and she can read whatever she wants. It's not being told what to do anymore. You can make your own life choices and be an amazing human being at the same time. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And so <laughs> what's it like being a human being and making your own choices for both of you? <laughs> for me, it's been amazing not having that pressure of having to be perfect anymore. I think, I mean, I took it to the extreme. It was, nope, going to the temple twice a week, like, Nope, Richard, we are going to the temple for our date nights. Who needs dinner? We're going to the temple. Like, I was so focused on getting our family to that dang celestial kingdom if if it killed me. Like, mm -hmm. it was every calling I could do, everything I could do to serve. I was so 
I mean, the church was everything to me. I had such a a strong like feeling of, nope, this is it. This is the only way to live. So to live outside of it and to realize that outside of that bubble, I can still be happy. It was an amazing feeling. It was a feeling of freedom and just, I can do whatever I want with my life now and I can be an amazing human being without it. Yeah. Yes. And you are an amazing human being. Oh, thanks. As are you. You're welcome. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> what about you, Keely? How do you feel? Because it's been, what, three years, four years now that you've been out? Yeah. Um, left in 2019. So like three and a half, four years now. Yeah, because I think we removed our names about six months before you, I think, from what I remember. Yeah, we removed that our names off the record. And then you mm, did. I Mine was my Christmas present. Because nice. I like right. decided <laughs> I was leaving in the middle of like 2019. But then my records didn't get fully removed until Christmas of 2019. Mm. That's when I got my like Christmas present in the email. That's like your records have been removed. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's just been great. Like it's that feeling of freedom, but like freedom of expression I feel like growing up, I was always so shy. I didn't feel like I could be who I wanted to be because I was in the church. I felt like I had to just be like this perfect person that was quiet and did what they were supposed to. But the moment I left, it was like, whoa, I can start to be who I want to be. Now I feel like I'm very extroverted and I don't care what people think. And I was like, okay, I want to like get tattoos. Like this is something I've always wanted. I remember there was a girl in high school that had a tattoo and I was like, oh, if I weren't Mormon, I would love to get one. And then the moment I left, I got one and she was like, oh my gosh, you got a tattoo. And I was like, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Like just that freedom to like do those things you wanted to do, but you couldn't because you felt restricted. Yeah. So it's just been nice feeling that freedom of expression and being the person you want to be because that's your best self, just being who you want to be. I agree. That's amazing because not everyone can have a success story like your story where mother and daughter both leave or the whole family leaves and there's not that tension there or that ostracization, ostracization. You guys know what I'm trying to say. It's yes, hard yes. when you have, <laughs> yes. I mean, you guys know with certain family, <laughs> everything changes. And so it's really beautiful that, Colette, you and Richard, your husband, were able to do the research together to even even the fact that both of you are willing to be open enough to look into the information together because sometimes husband and wife disagree on things and that can be really difficult. So I'm just really happy that you all made it to the dark side. Uh, (laughs) I love the dark side. (laughs) Yeah. And since you guys left too... You got to be closer to my mom because I know that was an issue before where you weren't really allowed to talk to my sinner mom because she had left the church and now (laughs) you're like super best friends, which I love. So we've all, I feel like our just, all of our relationships have just blossomed since Mm -hmm. getting rid of those strict parameters of like, I'm better than you. And if you're not in this little tunnel vision of mine, then you're on the outside. You, you are... (laughs) led by Satan, as they say. And so it's just really beautiful to get to see you guys have that relationship. And I'm sure it's even stronger now that you've left the church and with your your whole immediate family. It's amazing. 
Keely, what was it like coming home for you? Because I know that coming home as a missionary is usually a huge no-no and it's very looked down upon, even if it's for a health reason. It's like you're just supposed to work through the pain and work for God, right? So what were people's reactions when you came home? I think they were all kind of just like shocked that I came home, but I remember that I had a family member and she came up to me and said, what should I tell my friends for like why you came home? Like, what should I tell them the reason was? And I just kind of looked at her and it was like, my back, the truth. And she's like, okay, yeah. that's why I came home was because of my back. That was the reason just because my parents may have left the church. That's not affecting me and why I'm coming home. And then mm. I later on just found out a bunch of different things that she had said. She said that, you know, compared to her sons, you know, my emails weren't spiritual enough and <gasps> I was too, you know, energetic and only talked about the fun things in my emails. And I'm like, that's my personality coming through. Like, what? I don't want to talk about scriptures. I want to talk about the fun things that are going <laughs> on. <laughs> yeah. So hurtful. It was, it was and a she great should have been happy you emailed her at all, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're lucky you're even on the email list. <laughs> yeah. And after, okay, well, then after you left, I'm sure she had many things to say. Yeah. Well, after that, then it was more of that assumption that, oh, you left because you were sinning, not because you had back issues. That's when that oh. even came more into play. So now it's just not even something that's, it. They she thinks it's a lie that I came home for sinning, not because I actually had a back issue. (laughs) Wow. That's one of the hardest things is it really illustrates how much the church has an us versus them mentality. And no matter what you say, you can't change their mind. If they think that you're sinning, then like it's a losing game. If you're led by Satan, nothing that comes out of your mouth can be the truth. What about any other relationships, Keely? Did they change when you came home or when you came home and then when you left the church? I mean, all of the friends that I had through high school in the singles ward, those fizzled out. I no longer have contact with any of them. I mean, the moment I started to like post pictures where I had like tattoos and stuff, everyone just kind of stopped talking to me. They no Mm -hmm. longer messaged me back or wanted to go get lunch and things like that. So I just kind of took that as the hint that, okay, we're not friends anymore because I'm now a bad influence on you, which I was fine with because if they didn't want to be my friend anymore because of what I believed in, then I didn't want to be theirs either. So yeah, Yeah. just kind of lost those relationships as well. It's just very unfortunate that you do lose some relationships just because of a belief. Like I said earlier, you're the same person You just believe in something different. That's the only thing that's changed about you. I mean, Keely's the sweetest person in the world. And it's like, you're going to judge her just based on her belief? Like, that is, I don't know. It's just so frustrating that people's image of you changes because of a religion. There's major separation. It's like you against us. We're in the church. Now you're out. Don't want anything to do with you. Yeah. And I think that's also something that 
I like to hit home with people when they say, oh, but I don't want to leave the church because the community is amazing. And I always come back with, is it though? Because the second you change your belief, they don't care about you. So how is that a real community? They have very conditional love. They don't care about you. They care about surrounding themselves with people who believe the same as them. So it's almost, it's really sad when you lose friendships that way, but it makes you realize they were never really your friends to begin with. And now you can find true friendships that just have basis on being a friend because they're another human that you like. And that's enough. Yeah, (laughs) It's it's more than enough. And it's so much more fulfilling that way. Yes, definitely. I just, I, I would only say to people that have questions and like me have put those questions aside. Those questions are there for an answer, needing an answer. And don't just keep ignoring it. And don't just keep telling yourself, no, I'll figure that out another day. Like find answers and you never know what you'll find. Yeah. That sounds like a great yeah. Linda Listen, actually. <laughs> we need to do our Linda Listen. Do you want that to be your Linda Listen or do you got another one in mind? Um. Uh, my Linda listen would be, and I wrote it down because I don't want to murder it, but I okay, put, um, and so I put, accept everyone for who they are. Stop judging just because they are different than you. Love is supposed to be unconditional. And if your love towards someone is based on conditions, well, then you don't love them at all. So. <gasps> Mike drop, Colette. Okay, okay. Keely, how are you going to follow that up? (laughs) Um, I don't know. I did not prepare a Linda listen, but... That's okay. You know, we could say, like, don't put a lemon on your ass because it is not going to fix it. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Wait, is the church the lemon in this case? (laughs) You can't, <laughs> you can't put a Band-Aid on a broken bone. Like, you need no. to get, you need to figure it out, get to the bottom of it, cast <laughs> that thing up, and move on with your yeah. life. Amazing. Yeah. Well, this like has been it. so much fun. I really appreciate <laughs> you guys coming on. I know it can be a little bit scary being vulnerable and sharing your story with the world, but I know that people are going to relate to it and get a lot out of it. So, thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Of course. (laughs) If you like this episode, you're definitely going to like the ones that I have with my mom. Check those out. You will probably want to check out the Zelf on the Shelf episode where we talk more about missionaries. And if you love the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you could join our Patreon. I'm going to start doing exclusive content there, patreon.com slash cults to consciousness. And Ned and Peter, thank you for joining on Patreon. You're my new most recent patrons. I appreciate you and for everyone else watching slash slash listening until next time follow your highest excitement be conscious and be well thanks for listening if you like what you hear it would mean a lot if you could like and subscribe on youtube and leave a review or a comment to help with our visibility you can also find me on social media at colts to consciousness or reach out by email at colts to consciousness at gmail.com